Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. I always love the new year. I love the new year. Um, I've always loved new beginnings. I always enjoyed a new semester in college because I'd always messed up the semester before. I, I, I love the idea of a new beginning. And so as we begin this year, I thought it would be a good idea to look at how, how do we think, how to think in the new year. Because, man, there are so many crazy things going on in the world. And we need to be aware of it. In the Bible, God often warns us of dullness, of ignorance. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, because that is our natural state. Ignorance is our natural state. You have to learn things on purpose. And when you live in a fallen world, you actually have to unlearn wrong information that you have imbibed, that you have learned. And the reason for that is because of the way the world works. People's opinions are based upon what people think. Their opinions are not based on the Bible. Jesus, they're not based on Christ. They're not based on any authority. They're based on what they think and what they want to think. Their opinions are based upon what they think about the Bible, what they think about Jesus, and what they think about Christianity. I mean, we, we have all seen the, the, this new form of atheism that is more anti-theism than it is atheism. And as, as uh, Frank Turek said about the atheist Christopher Hitchens, that Hitchens wrote a book called God is Not Great. And in, in a debate, Turek said to him, Basically, what your book is saying is there is no God and I hate you. There is no God and I hate him. And so this anti-theism, this, this idea in the world right now that is very anti-Christian, it's very anti-absolute. That's the world that we live in. And yet it's amazing how absolute they are in their hatred of absolutes. That's the world that we live in. Often, you'll have a discussion with someone, and they'll leave the discussion and say something like this. I heard what you said, but I think. So, two plus two equals four. Well, I know, but I think. It's the attack of the comma buts. Right? Well, I know that's true, comma, but... Well, there is no counter to an absolute truth. You accept it or you bump up against it to your own hurt, to your own harm. Men are governed by their own thoughts. And it's vital that we align our thinking with God and God's word or we will find ourselves living in opposition to God while claiming we are serving God. Have you ever met people that they're just bad at life? That every decision they make has them ending up living in a van down by the river? Everything they do. They, they just cannot seem to make a good decision. How many of you know people like that? Right? Why is that? Well, if you'll follow what God says, you'll make good decisions. If you follow what the world says, you'll make bad decisions. Now listen, even if it seems that you're gaining worldly success, ultimately, if you're, doing, uh, if you're going against what God says, you're going to have trouble. And so we need to learn how to think. Once you set aside the Bible as your final authority and elevate your thoughts and your opinions to an equal or greater authority than the Bible, you'll lie, gossip, steal, do anything saying that God led you to do it and that you are in God's will. We have to have 
a final authority. And this will elevate our thoughts. But I have to be aware that I, you know, it's easy to look at the world and you see how, you know, people come up with all these weird ideas and crazy things. And, you know, science actually teaches us one thing and the world says something completely different. And I thought we were the unscientific people. Right? Do we need to go into a list? How many of you know that a virus is smaller than the holes in your mask? How many of you know that? If you don't know that, I can't help you. It's like putting up a chain link fence and throwing sand through it. Yeah, some of it's going to get stopped, but it's not going to work. So anybody that tells you that you're an evil person because you're not wearing a mask, that person is practicing a religion, not science. Right? People are crazy. They're crazy. We have vaccines for viruses. that It doesn't affect that virus. It doesn't. But you've got to take it, and if you don't take it, you're evil because... I'm vaccinated, and if you're not vaccinated, a vaccine's going to stop me from getting sick, and if you don't take the vaccine, I'm going to get sick. Uh, ah. We live in a crazy, crazy world, and it's going to get worse. And so we have to learn how to elevate our thinking. So look at Isaiah chapter 55, and look at verse 8. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Who's talking? Saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lord, help us. We need this so desperately right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I need to understand. I must be aware of my problem. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. Because here's what happens. We can get pretty arrogant. Because when I look at how stupid the world is, and honestly, it is so dumb. I mean, you got to take your brain out and play with it to be like the world is right now. I mean, people are absolutely crazy. So you go to Starbucks, and you got to have a mask to go into Starbucks. And yet you go to the bathroom, and there's no paper towels. Uh, I, I don't understand how this works. Where's the science? Are y'all with me? And so here's what happens. We get to where we think that we're better than the people around us. When we don't understand how far our thoughts are, how far my thoughts are from God's thoughts. And this is the problem, and of course one of the buzzwords of the last 10 years is tribalism, This is the problem with our own version of tribalism, that it's gotten to where where you stand on vaccines and masks determines what political party you're in, and it becomes a political fight rather than a scientific fight, and yet then somehow that makes it into our Christianity. And so now we're not able to actually even give people the gospel because we hate them because they have masks on or whatever. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? And so let's take it outside of our current situation. Let's just look at what's going on in the world. I have to be aware of my problem, that my thoughts are not God's thoughts. And as I mentioned in my introduction, you'll you'll hear somebody say, well, I know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think, but I think. Let's look at the first mention. Keep your place here in Isaiah 55. Put your ribbon there. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Now, in our 
understanding of how to study the Bible, we've talked about the law of first mention, and we'll, we'll spend a whole lesson on that coming up. But look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. This is the first mention of the word thoughts in the Bible. The first mention of the word thought. And, and this principle of first mention is this, that when God first mentions a, a word or a topic in the Bible, you learn something about that topic that will carry through the rest of the scriptures. It's that law of first mention. It's really an important principle. And so let's look at um, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you think that's a compliment? And this is the whole world. So we're not talking about the genetic issues. We're talking about the way that men think. Let's read this verse again. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The first time someone says, I thought, is in Genesis chapter 20. So let's go there. And so this is Abraham and, and Sarah. They're traveling. He's afraid of Abimelech. Look at verse 3, Genesis chapter 20 and verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister? So you remember what this, this great man Abraham, he was afraid that, that Abimelech would kill him and take his wife because she was a looker. And so he said, well, tell him you're my sister. jerk, right? So that, that, that's what's going on here. Verse 5, said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. So God protected Sarah by keeping the king from doing anything. Don't we have a great God? So, so interesting here. Verse 7. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, thou know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that, that ought not to be done." Isn't this interesting? The unbelieving king to the believing Abraham. Verse 10. And Abimelech said unto him, Abraham, what sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Verse 11. And Abraham said, because I thought. First time someone says, I thought in the Bible. And look at where it got him. 
And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Now look at what he said. Because I thought the fear of God is not in this place. No, the fear of God was not in Abraham. Had God promised to make of Abraham a great nation? Had God promised to do that? Well, God was going to protect them. They are gods. His problem was he didn't allow his faith to impact his behavior. He didn't trust God. So the first time we have, I thought in the Bible, it's somebody messing up when they should have just believed God. Now, that doesn't mean we have a thoughtless faith. We're going to get to some pretty high-level thinking here in a minute. But the problem is, any time that we try to do some thinking that doesn't submit itself to the authority of the Word of God, we are messing up. Now, so, number one, I must be aware of my problem. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. And my thinking is so far below God's thinking that every time I dive into the Word of God, I see something where I am wrong. How many of you feel that same way? That God reveals himself, and as I study the Word, and as I get more of the Word of God in me, I find out, man, I am not nearly where I need to be. But when I'm away from the Word of God, I can start thinking I'm pretty good. It's interesting what the Bible does. It's that mirror, isn't it? So number two, I must stand in awe of God and his thoughts. They're higher than mine. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts, verse verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So the thing that I have to understand is that if I have a right thought, now, now don't, don't fade away. Young people, you got to get this. If I have a thought that's right, it is not my thought. It's because I have learned something that agrees with God's word. If I have an original thought, listen, if I have an original thought, it is wrong. I don't know about you guys, but I can get to think that, man, my brain works pretty good. I'm, I, I can figure this out. I can get this. I can do this. When I have to understand that I have the potential of great evil. I have the potential of terrible decision making. I have the potential of horrible things because my thoughts are not God's thoughts. And my ways are certainly not God's ways. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Those are the difference between, that's the difference between God's ways and my ways. So I must stand in awe of God and his thoughts. They are higher than mine. You couldn't have a, his thoughts and ways and my thoughts and ways. You could not have a greater contrast. And the more we learn about the universe, the greater we understand the contrast to be. So I heard James Knox um, bring a message on this years ago. And then I developed a message on that thought. But I decided to dive a little bit deeper because there's a new book out by uh, Eric Metaxas called um, Is Atheism Dead? And Metaxas is an interesting guy because, if you remember, he's the guy that I showed you the video of, video of several years ago where he's interviewing uh, Timothy Keller. And in the interview, he said, now, I don't know of an intelligent person who believes in a literal atom. Remember, I've told you about that. That's Eric Metaxas. Um, Eric Metaxas loves Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he wrote a famous book on Bonhoeffer. 
and, you know, he exalts Bonhoeffer as a great Christian. The only problem is Bonhoeffer was neo-Orthodox. He didn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. He didn't believe in the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. I don't know that Bonhoeffer's in heaven. That's a sad thing, isn't it? And so we have to be careful when we read some of these popular Christian authors. But this book... Is atheism dead? So far, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know, six chapters, seven chapters into it. It's really good. There's some really good things. I want to get Metaxas on the phone and ask him if he still believes there's no such thing as a literal atom. Maybe he's grown. Wouldn't that be cool if the, the truth has gotten through to him? I'd love that. But in this book, he points out some really fun things that go along with this idea, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, he didn't point us to the scriptures yet, but I couldn't help but think about this. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, now, this will be fun. Do you all enjoy looking at the stars? I love that, now, and I do wish that I knew some things about astronomy. Jacob told me he took a, an astronomy class in college, and he learned a bunch of stuff about that. I don't know anything about it, but I, I enjoy looking up at the sky. And I didn't realize until several years ago that the naked eye can only see about 5,000 stars. If you're standing on the ground, you only have the ability to see uh, about 5,000 stars. Let me read you something from the Atlantic magazine. They said this in 2013. There are only about 5,000 stars visible to the naked average human eye. Minute physics points out. And because the earth itself gets in the way, you can only see about half of those from where you stand. So you can't really see 5,000 stars. You can only see 2,500 stars. So when the Bible was written, and this is about 700 years before Christ, when, when Isaiah is written, And it says, as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So for the man standing there looking at those stars, that's how much higher God's thoughts are than my thoughts. And that's a significant distance. But man learns a lot. Man's knowledge grows. And the Bible says that knowledge shall increase. And that's exactly what's happened. And I don't know the number, but the the amount of knowledge in the world doubles every very quickly now. And and it's amazing the information that's available to us. And so we're learning more, and so that means we're catching up to God, right? No, this is how brilliant God is. Because the more we learn about the heavens, the farther God's thoughts are than our thoughts. The more we learn, the smaller we get. The Atlantic Magazine actually says that from unbelievers. But let's go on. Let me give you something else. Galileo had trained his new telescope on the Milky Way in 1610. So he was the first to see that what looked like a cloud-like haze to our naked eyes upon closer inspection actually comprised of stars. But in the decades and centuries after Galileo, some astronomers saw that what looked like stars to Galileo were in fact nebulae. Hazy clouds comprised of ionized gases and dust. So, the naked eye, 2,500 stars. Galileo, 1610, has his, his telescope and now he sees more. And what just seemed like haze were actually stars. And now there's gas and dust up there. But then Edwin Hubble comes along. Edwin Hubble started out in 1919. He saw that some of these nebulae were not located within our own Milky Way galaxy. How many of you want a candy bar now? That's a very Milky Way. 
but were in fact galaxies themselves, impossibly far away. Suddenly the universe was wildly beyond what we had believed. It was astonishingly vast. Now, here, understand, that's, that didn't happen until 1924. 1919, he starts looking. He starts doing all these measurements. 1924, he discovered something. He discovered that the universe is actually expanding. That those stars are moving away from us. And if they're moving away, that means they had to have a starting point. And what is this starting point? And if you remember, somebody had called it in the 1960s the Big Bang. And it was, it was, that, that was a, a pejorative term. It was a derogatory term. But I think it was uh, Anthony Flew who, who set, used that term in an interview. And now, all of a sudden, everybody's saying, wait a minute. The universe did have a beginning. And the problem with that was, you know, you had uh, Albert Einstein. He came along with his theory of relativity about the same time that Hubble is using his telescope, a little bit before that. And what Einstein realized was there had to be a beginning, but he didn't want to admit it. Listen, he didn't want to admit it because it sounded too religious. Because the only way that Darwin's theories can come true is if you have an infinite amount of time. Because if you have an infinite amount of time, anything's possible, right? A bat can turn into a bird. Or something can crawl out of the ground like a polywog and turn into your science professor. If you have enough time, if you have infinite time, anything can become anything else. But here's the problem that people started to understand, It had a beginning. And that messed everybody up. These scientists, these physicists, they realized that if the laws of physics had a beginning, then there's something that the laws of physics can't explain. Because what came before those laws of physics? And how did they come into being? Because logically, matter cannot create itself. If it came, if there was nothing and then there was something, what made the something? And here are the stupid conversations that you end up getting into. Well, what does nothing really mean? Do we really mean nothing? So you're saying nothing doesn't mean nothing? You see the problem? Because here's what happens. This is so fun. We don't need to be afraid of science. It's just like all this study that I'm doing on the preservation of Scripture. When I get outside of people who have a theological agenda, and you just study the history of the text, here's what you find out. We're right. It's so fun. When you stand on the truth, investigation does not worry us a bit because we have the truth. Amen? I just love it. And so what happened is, you start learning more, and they find out that the world actually had a beginning, and this Hubble telescope was a big part of that. So when Edwin Hubble, and this is, I've paraphrased Metaxas a little bit, but when Hubble started out in 1919, he saw that some of these nebulae were not located within our own Milky Way galaxy, but were in fact galaxies themselves, impossibly far away. Suddenly the universe was wildly beyond what we had believed. It was astonishingly vast and as high as the heavens. How does it say it? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That incredibly vast, that's the great God that we worship. And the more that we learn, the greater 
God does not become, the farther away we find out his intelligence is than ours. Edwin Hubble began looking at the heavens in 1919 using the newly completed 100-inch telescope on Mount Wilson in the mountains north of Los Angeles. It was the largest telescope in the world. And through it in 1924, he saw something astonishing that no one else had ever seen, nor would have believed if they had. This is less than 100 years ago. They're just learning these things. And what did he learn? The universe, Hubble noticed, was expanding. The whole thing. And all the stars and galaxies in our universe, like the raisins in a raisin cake, were moving farther and farther away from each other as it expanded. So now with this telescope, you can see millions and millions and billions of stars. And it all grows and you see more and more and more. And it's amazing. Listen, this is again from that Atlantic magazine. What I learned, this is from my notes, what I learned is there is still more to learn about God. And this does not exalt man. This, this science, it doesn't exalt man. Here's from that Atlantic article. Let's start with the galaxies. There are astronomers, there are astronomers estimate, around 170 billion galaxies in the observable universe, stretching out over a radius of some 45.7 billion light years. Those galaxies vary in terms of number of stars they contain. Universe Today notes some spiral galaxies have more than a trillion stars. And some giant elliptical galaxies have 100 trillion stars. There are also tiny dwarf galaxies, tiny being obviously a relative term here, that have a significantly fewer number of stars. So let's, what about the Milky Way? The Milky Way, our little corner of the observable universe, has for its part some 400 billion stars. So if we multiply the estimated average number of stars in each galaxy by the number of galaxies in the observable universe and carry the billion, etc., we get a rough estimate of all. <laughs> Here's what the article says. There are roughly a septillion stars in the observable universe. And you know what I love in Genesis? And he made the stars also. That's our God. That's the one we worship. That's the one who needs to regulate our thinking. This is back to the uh, Atlantic article. Listen to this. This is unbelievers. So then back to you, you tiny little human, standing on the surface of your tiny little planet in your tiny little corner of the universe. How many of those septillion stars are actually visible to you? An extremely, yep, tiny little percentage. That's us. That's us. What is man that thou art mindful of thee? Or the son of man that thou visitest? Folks, when you look at the world thinking and how crazy the world is right now, and you start gauging your thinking against the world, you can think you're really something. We need to compare ourselves, not among ourselves. Why? According to the word of God, because that's not wise. We need to compare ourselves to God. What's that going to give us? It's going to give us humility. It's going to give us direction. Here's the fun thing. When we realize all of these trillions of stars that, that are there, you start to acknowledge that, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Then we understand how truly dependent we are upon God. Go back to Isaiah chapter 55 and look at verse 10. <clears throat> For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, 
and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Wow. So God's word is going to have effect. God's word is going to do what God's word says it will do. So what should I do? I should get in line with God's word. Wouldn't that be a good idea? That'd be a great idea. So uh, Matt Hickman was telling me about uh, playing basketball, and his brother took a charge from this huge guy that was coming at him. Here's the problem when you're a smaller guy and you decide to take a charge from a really big guy. You lose every time. What, is the, what would be the better thing to do? Go with him. <laughs> Get out of the way. Go with him. And here's what happens. God's word is going this way. And God's word is much bigger and much more powerful and much surer than you are, than I am. And here's the best thing that I can do. If God's word is going this way, I need to go this way as well. Because now what happens? I am going to the place that God intends me to go. How am I going to do that? By making my thoughts his thoughts. How do I make my thoughts his thoughts? It says it in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's by memorizing the word of God. It's by meditating the word of, on the Word of God. It's by understanding the Bible in its context. It's by learning how to study the Bible so that when you teach something, you're teaching what the Bible says. When you're doing something that you believe God wants you to do, that you are actually doing what God wants you to do, not what God wants someone else to do. God's ways are higher than my ways. I haven't moved. There's something that's so fun. So... This is from that Metaxas book. And this chapter is called, um, What is the Opposite of a Bang? Isn't that funny? I think that's pretty funny. What is the opposite of a bang? Because what they discovered was that, and, and this is, how many of you know who uh, Oppenheimer, the Manhattan Project? Here, here's what he and, and some of his people discovered. Here's what they started wondering. So if the sun is burning out. If our star can be diminishing, what happens when this star, it's so heavy and its energy runs out and it starts to collapse in on itself? What happens when it gets indescribably small and then all of a sudden it goes away? It wasn't until the 1960s that we understood this thing called a black hole. And what they realized was a black hole is the opposite of a big bang. And this really messed people up. Because if evolution is true and things are getting better and better, but physics tells us that everything is running down, now we have a big problem. And so listen to what it says. It was the English Nobel laureate mathematical physicist Sir Roger Penrose who explained this in 1965 saying that in the end, these massive stars would indeed do the very opposite of what the universe had done at the Big Bang. These monstrous stars would eventually go downward and downward, smaller and smaller, until, listen, <clears throat> until all physics and all science were crushed out of shape and then into non-existence. 
So what they realized was there was a time before science and there will be a time after science. Now what do we do? They would, in fact, disappear all the way down to a singularity when they would effectively put up an out-to-lunch sign except that they would never return, having disappeared altogether. They would take themselves to an unknown realm beyond our ability to investigate or understand. They would scientifically be observed to go beyond science, disappearing into themselves like a faker, making himself vanish, like a snake swallowing its own tail. Now listen, this is the amazing thing. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Have you ever heard that? Well, then how did matter begin? And if matter can't be destroyed, what's a black hole? What is that? So when the Bible says that the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, when the Bible says that the heavens and earth fled away and there was found no place for them, it's gone. It is done. We know that that can happen. Listen, now we know that it can happen naturally. And if it can happen naturally, then the God who created nature can do it in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, Jesus can make it happen. Boom. Just like that. Now listen, this is amazing. Here, we, here again, apart from the Big Bang, was another case of science leading beyond science. And like the Big Bang, it was undeniable. It was as though science were a ladder leading to a hole in the sky, but when you followed it up into the hole, the ladder vanished behind you. Poof! No more science! At a conference in New York in 1967, the Princeton physicist John Wheeler gave these inconceivable horrors a name. He called them black holes. So Overby, there's a man. His name is Standage. And Standage is the guy that followed Edwin Hubble as the man in charge of the Hubble telescope. Standage was an atheist. But he was an honest man. And he decided to take the science where it goes. And you know what he ended up doing? He ended up becoming a Christian because he found out that science can't explain these things. But that the Bible does. Amazing. Amazing. So Overby wrote a, a, a book where he describes Sandage. And so Metaxas is quoting Overby. What are they? This is the black holes. What are they? They were at once liberation from the gray law and enforcers of the ultimate unknowable law of laws. Tangible evidence of a mystery more powerful than anything we could think of. A truth that would fry your brain or blind you if you saw it like the face of God, waiting there at the end of time. They were magic. The idea that the laws of physics, gray, sober, reality, should predict the existence of singularities was astounding. The singularity theorems, to me, were like evidence of a miracle, of a magic outside of physics itself. I wanted to know if such miracles, such singular, terrible transformations were real, if we couldn't see God, we could at least know God was there, even if sulking in a black hole or at the end of time. This is where science leads. Young people, don't be afraid of science. Science supports us. Why? Because we worship the God who created the laws of science. Isaiah chapter 55.
verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, the first thing that we said is, I must be aware of my problem. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. Secondly, I must stand in awe of God and his thoughts. They're higher than mine. Third, I must understand my place in God's universe. He's my creator. He must be my Lord and I can trust him. Look look at verse 6, Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. You know what's interesting? Do you know what Sandage did? He was studying science, but he was open to where it took him. And do you know where science took him? It took him to the face of God. Isn't that wonderful? Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his... What's it say? Everyone, we're in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And look at what happens. And he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What do I need to do? How do I, how do I think in the new year? I need to understand that as crazy as the world is, are my thoughts better than their thoughts? Well, yes. How do my thoughts compare to God? Oh, man. As the heavens are higher than the earth. How high is that? Immeasurably high. So, so, much, so, high, so high that I don't even know what the words mean. And that gives me humility. And it causes me to seek his face while I can and to forsake my way, to forsake my thoughts and just pray to God for mercy. Amen? That's the way to start the new year. Let's all stand together.